and thanks for listening to Shelf Love. Welcome to the Decameron Quarantine Romance Book Club. This is part five of a 10-episode miniseries of short, casual conversations with romance experts who are here to spread the joy of romance novels so that we can all stay home and not spread the coronavirus. I'm Andrea Martucci, host of the Shelf Love Podcast, and tonight I'm joined by Ruby Lang, author of the Uptown and Practice Perfect series and former contributor to The Toast. Mia Sosa, a contemporary romance author whose tagline is funny, flirty, and a little dirty. Mia's latest book is The Worst Best Man. And Jessica Lynn Van Sluten, an associate professor of English, writing, and women's and gender studies at the University of Wisconsin-Green Bay. Tonight's theme is food, and I don't know if it's just me, but I feel like when I'm at home, all I want to do is think about food. And <laughs> I've been spending a lot of time at home, so I've been thinking about food a lot. So Same. <laughs> yes. So let's start with Mia. What romance novel worth reading did you want to talk about that explores food? Okay, so the book that I would recommend for the food theme is Delicious by Sherry Thomas. It's a historical romance set in the late 1700s. And I should start with this. Full disclosure number one, I came to historical romance late and I can count the number of historical romances I've read on two hands. But I love them all. So there's something there. (laughs) And disclosure number two, the plot of this book is bananas. (laughs) (laughs) And it's hard to describe it without spoiling it, but I'm going to give it a go. Okay. So Verity Durant is a cook for a man named Bertie Somerset. And at one point they had an affair which everyone knows about until he decides she's beneath him, all of which makes Verity like this scandalous woman in society. And Bertie dies and his own heir. (laughs) Yes, this is a good good result. Uh, Bertie dies and he has no kids. Uh, So his only heir is his estranged half-brother, whose name is Stuart Somerset. And he's a rising political star who also happens to have a huge chip on his shoulder about his humble origins. And basically, he wants more than anything to be accepted by genteel society. So he has a respectable fiance. He's got his rising political career. Um, He likes his fiance, doesn't love her. But anyway, love and sex aren't really big deals to him anyway. So yeah, he's fine. Then Stuart inherits his brother's country estate and this amazing cook, Verity, who creates these divine meals is part of the household he inherits. And oh, there's an important point, which is that these two banged before, 10 years before the present. One night, no name on her part. And she spends most of the book employed by Stuart and not revealing that they've already seen each other's (laughs) important bits. Um, (laughs) Verity isn't only a cook. She's got like a past that's told in bits and pieces and she reveals at different parts of the story. Um, But basically this story is these two circling each other and resisting each other. And it is the slowest of slow burns. But the reason why I chose it is because I think it is 
a master class in the many ways that food can be used in a story. So the consumption of food is like a metaphor for arousal and food is a secondary character and food is a part of the world building and food can be used as seduction and food is even a way to evoke memories because Stuart learns through eating Verity's food, he remembers certain things about his relationship with his brother that actually remind him that at one point they had a really good relationship that turned sour for reasons that I don't want to say because I don't want to spoil it. But anyway, so much of the desire and sexual tension between these two characters is communicated through food. And I tell you, as the titles suggest, it is delicious. <laughs> like I just, it, it's so great. Um, I just highly recommend this book just because there's so many ways that food is used. But also, to be honest, like it is one of those like it has some of the hottest masturbation and bath scenes I've ever read. So there's that too. So I know that isn't a theme, but you get that too when you read this book. So that's my selection. Duly noted. And um, that was a solid food pun that their relationship turned sour. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't even think about that. (laughs) It was maybe unintentional, but it was perfect. (laughs) Totally, totally unintentional. (laughs) I thought I had read all of Sherry Thomas's books, but I found Delicious at a used bookstore fairly recently and I bought it and I was like how have I never read this and I I still I full disclosure I still haven't read it but I have it now I will read it oh please do and when you read it please tell me what you think about it okay you'll be the first person I tell (laughs) Jessica what about you so I picked mangoes and mistletoe by Adriana Herrera uh, which is actually a novella which I think is really good for right now if anyone else is having trouble reading a full-length novel during pandemic times. And what I most love about this novel, this novella, is that it's like if the Great British Bake Off and Hallmark movies met and were infused with multiculturalism and LGBTQ culture. And it just takes everything that I love and puts it into this perfect little novella. That's so delicious. So we get the two characters, Sully and Kiskaya, are competing in this baking contest in Scotland. And both of them are uh, Dominican and living in the United States. Um, They don't know each other before they go to this contest and they are paired together. Another wonderful thing about this book is that there's only one bed. So that's a favorite trope of many readers. (laughs) So you're going to love that. And yeah, so they really have to figure out how to work together as a team. And the stakes for winning the competition are different for each woman. And that creates some of the tension. And also their relationship to their ethnicity is different. And that creates a lot of the tension in the story. And I really love that part because I think Herrera does such a great job of showing diversity within 
um, ethnicity that I think is important for especially, honestly, white readers like me to see that, right, and to appreciate how people identify with their heritage differently. The food is wonderful. It's it's a baking competition. So there, everything is like, you know, the cozy kind of baking. Um, and they're pairing these really delicious tropical flavors with sort of high-end or more technical kind of bakes. And there's all this drama. And I love it because one of the teams that they're competing against are these two like influencer girls who are both named Becca. <laughs> so like... <laughs> <laughs> you got our our variation on the the Becky and like what Herrera does with that is just like so brilliant and and wonderful and you know I love the way that she's able to use this food competition as a way of like challenging all these stereotypes and assumptions. I love that. I love um, it. Yes, Becca. Oh, Becca. <laughs> <laughs> Are they the Becca? Are they like baddies or are they just clueless? Oh, they're bad. <gasps> oh, good. They're oh, bad. I, do they get their comeuppance? They might. Do they die? <laughs> do they die? <laughs> no. I mean, like, the, the book is enough of a, like, like I said, it mashes together, like, the Great British Bake Off, if you've ever seen that. It's like this wonderful baking competition that seems very, like, civilized and, you know, with this sort of hallmark trappings of a christmas movie so no one dies but yeah uh-huh. um, the good people are rewarded and the bad beccas are yeah they get what's coming good okay <laughs> and it's also it's also fairly steamy right that even though there's like kiska uh, particularly she just wants to focus on the competition and win but there is just this passion and as i said before there's only one bed <laughs> so mm-hmm. we all know what happen and um that's really delicious as well that sounds fantastic and that book or novella actually came up in the shelf love superlatives episode for like a similar superlative like best uh best great british bake-off like story or something (laughs) um inspired i think it's like a fantastic hook so ruby which romance novel would you recommend on the theme of food so i chose mina wahid's Graham's Delicacies, which is actually a set of short stories, which are set in a, like, a cafe bakery, and it features a bunch of, like, queer and non-binary pairings. You know, there's this one couple is, they, they make friends at the bakery, and their friendship slowly progresses through, like, pining and hope and into like actual dating and you know there's another set of people who work at the bakery who you know at first they're very standoffish and so it's got a lot of like little stories and I love the way it works because all the stories are extremely sweet and it's almost like you get this little selection of petit fours honestly Mm. honestly like the way the prose is deliberately like really light and there's something about the way it's written that is almost itself like like pastries honestly They're, it's just it's just really light and so what i love you know is is that you get the selection of of different things and it's parallel to the food that's being described it's and and you get like different flavor almost 
with every single little story. And so it's called Graham's Delicacies. So I got to praise you. You really infused that description with so many food metaphors. (laughs) I mean, A plus. Do you have a clicker? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I'll add some sound effects in here. Um, I know I said I wasn't editing, but like, let's be real. Um, Like a ding or something. Um, Wait, what would be like a food sound? Just like a little like, ding, your order's up, like that? Hmm. Yeah, Yeah, like at the counter. Eating. Yeah, a fork, you know, no um, or anything like that. Yes. <laughs> and so Mina Wahid, that that's a new name to me. Is that author have they written romance? Like a lot of romance? And this is just yes. kind of like a little short story collection? I think that their works are mostly short. They've also written um Soft on Soft. And yeah, it, it these are pretty new books I would say like within the last two years oh so, exciting a discovery yeah. like when you're walking down the street and you discover a new restaurant that has just opened that you get to try yes exactly <laughs> and I'll, you know and the thing is the style is just so it, it's so comforting just sort of enthusiastic pretty low conflict I would say and and just full of these very sweet very happy pairings in a lot of ways so you know it it, it's just really nice for if you just want it you just need like an afternoon where you say i can't deal with what's happening right now and Mm -hmm. and yeah it sounds like exactly yes perfect yeah Yeah. i was gonna say an afternoon delight but (laughs) that has other connotations (laughs) i suppose (laughs) an afternoon snack let's go an afternoon snack yes you yeah. know, you can't go to the cafe, but you can go to Graham's Delicacies. Ooh. That's the thing. Yeah. Uh-huh. That's some good marketing copy, too. <laughs> <laughs> In the pandemic, you can't go to the cafe. So yeah. <laughs> so food is very sensual. I think that, you know, the books that you guys all chose have these like they're very focused on food like in the plot the people are creating food or it takes place in a foodie environment but you know even like at a micro level in a at a scene level I'd be curious kind of like how food is incorporated in these books kind of as a way to like heighten the senses and like maybe even used in some of the sexy times I'm I'm just I'm just hoping maybe um but but food I feel like food is very like hedonistic in some ways like we have to eat it to survive but I feel like there's also then this like layered in sensual component where it pairs very nicely with some sex did anybody in their book are there any like memorable I know we have a memorable bathtub masturbation scene but um (laughs) were there strawberries in the water tell me more (laughs) Well, I mean, the thing about Delicious is that, you know, there's all this tension. These two are pining for each other the entire time, and she's sending food to him from the kitchen. And he's eating this food, and it almost has like an element of magical realism. Like, it's like, really? I, I mean, I've had really great food, but I've never had food that 
you know, made me want to like orgasm at the table. But this is actually like he's so overcome by tasting her food. And so that's the way that Thomas uses it. It's sort of it's basically she's sending her her desire through the food and he's receiving it and he's overwhelmed by it. And the interesting thing is that, you know, until he tasted her food, he viewed himself as sort of this person who really didn't need sex and wasn't really interested in it. He, you know, had sex when he wanted to, when he had the urge, but otherwise wasn't seeking it. And then she sends this food his way and he's overwhelmed by it all. And that to me was really fascinating. I mean, I have, I have highlights (laughs) (laughs) that I might be able to find for you somewhere on my Kindle, because there were just so many passages where I was like, wow, this is really it's so sensual the way that he described his reaction to the food he was eating. It was, man, that's really hot. Yeah. When you were talking about it being like magical realism and like her infusing her emotion to the food, I was thinking, do you any of you remember that movie with Sarah Michelle Gellar? I think it was called Simply Irresistible. And she has a family restaurant and I don't know what happens or why this happens, but she starts like her emotions start getting infused into the food. And Mm -hmm. like, so if she's feeling sad, everybody who eats her food kind of like has this like melancholy fall over them. Or like if she's like feeling sexy, like all of a sudden everybody in the restaurant is like, you know, feeling frisky. This sounds vaguely familiar. (laughs) I couldn't I can't picture the the romantic interest. It's it's from 1999, which is I think my peak movie watching years because I seem to only remember movies from 1999. But I love I love that uh you know the the magical elements of food as well and like that there's that interesting similar theme of like putting emotion into food like yeah. and then being able to kind of like transfer that and like share it with somebody else. Yeah, which reminds me that there is a book that we will soon, I believe, be able to read. I have an arc of it. It's called A Taste of Sage by uh, Yafa Santos. And this is a book where the chef, her name is Lumi Santana. I'm looking at the arc right now, actually. She has this gift where she can perceive a person's emotions and I'm thinking this just by tasting their cooking. And so this this is her gift. And so it's kind of similar to what you just described in the movie. Uh, and I'm looking forward to reading that just as soon as I finish writing my book. <laughs> <laughs> There's nothing distracting like... happening to keep you from No, not at all. Right. <laughs> I feel like this is a, a, a fairly common theme, though, in books about food, you know, I guess part of it is we infuse our love into our food when we make it for our families, for instance. Mm-hmm. Um, Absolutely. But, you know, there are, I, I remember um, like, like like Water for Chocolate, for instance, mm-hmm. has the theme. There's a more recent book um, that I'm losing the name, of course. Um, but but um, also, the, I don't know if any of you ever read this book, The Particular Sadness of Lemon Cake. Mm-hmm. Um, it's about a woman who can taste all the feelings in 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 the food that's being made, and and sometimes it's, it makes it really hard for her to eat, actually. But you know, it's so funny that we think of it as as such a nurturing thing, but at the same time, you know, there is all this feeling that you can put 
into food and and it's not always just like sweetness and light for instance Mm, not at all yeah that's interesting and that that was one of the things that I found really compelling about my book is that because I I love books that have food in them (laughs) and the novel I'm working on right now is uh, very much infused with food but this one was a little bit different because they're both bakers, and for Kiskaya, it's really uh, it's about her skill and proving herself, and proving herself worthy to sort of more of the traditional European baking standards, right? And so, part of the the romantic journey and the way that food is used is opening her up to recognizing her culture, and I thought that was really an interesting way to incorporate the food. Yes, I love that, you know, because a lot of times when we talk about food, especially when it comes to people from like marginalized groups, you know, we like the idea of like talking about food and eating food in the books, but we don't necessarily like the idea of the labor around it or else like the more difficult issues, you know, it's easier to consume just the the food writing than it is to consume maybe the other parts of the cultures we're talking about. Yeah. And so I find it really interesting when it's not just, you know, glorious. I love, believe me, I love food writing and I will, you know, if I see that it's a foodie book, I will pick it up immediately. But sometimes I think that it's uncomplicated sometimes by a larger discussion of um, what goes into the food, the labor, the, you know, the, the, the mixed feelings sometimes of why we end up making the food and eating the food and who makes everything, that kind of thing. Or even something that I've tackled in one of my books, which is a, a generational difference. Yeah. Um, you know, and mm-hmm. I've, uh, I, I had a book where the heroine was a personal trainer um, and her family owned a uh, a restaurant, a Puerto Rican restaurant. And one of the tensions was her concern about her dad, who had had a stroke and, you know, sort of telling them that they needed to eat differently and her not really realizing how much of the, the process of making the food and feeding it to families so much part of the culture and that they were... Also, there was this tension and she didn't know where this tension was coming from. And it was because she didn't recognize that that aspect of her family dynamic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've thought about that a lot because I, I thought about food a lot like in my life because and I talked about this in another episode, so I won't go like too deep into it. But like I had a not great relationship with food and like really had to change my relationship with food and was trying to lose weight and and did lose a lot of weight like and and really just my relationship to food had to change a lot and family gatherings are incredibly complicated uh, oh yeah with food and because food is seen as love like mm-hmm. i'm trying mm-hmm. to feed you because i love you and when you say you know for a variety of reasons i might say no to some of this <laughs> and uh and and food it is interesting because like food can be love but like also food is literally fuel for your body and it can be misused in a way you mm-hmm. know like where yeah. 
I, I feel like that the kind of like the stereotype of like the the pushy family like pushing food on somebody of a younger generation particularly and kind of like feeling like really hurt when it's when that is rejected is seen often in romance so I don't know it's it's interesting because like look I love a I love a foodie romance I'd love to you know kind of like see it in scenes but like then there's kind of like the real life relationship to food that it's complicated it's very complicated absolutely but i think we all i mean i don't want to like dwell on the sexy times with food but like (laughs) look we all like a little champagne in the bedroom a little (laughs) you know like a nice little platter of uh chocolate covered strawberries that's so stereotypical (laughs) if any romance author actually put that scene in their romance their editor would be like no you can't do this (laughs) Yeah, in the in the novella, one of the the sexy time scenes happens in the in the kitchen where they're like the the contest kitchen after you know they've been practicing and uh, I think the Beccas are on the other side of the wall, so like that you know sort of heightens the the non sexual tension, the intrigue, right? <laughs> of sort of a you know the discovery fantasy, but yeah, and that also that is a, a key moment into what's what happens in the final competition involving the Beccas and their their takedown. So wait, sorry. So they are actually. I assume they're not being recorded at this moment. No, um. no. Yeah, I should be clear. <laughs> they're not. Like, this is like a, a practice. Like they have their kitchen space and they get to practice before the competition, like the day before. For the competition and after they've done practicing for the day they uh have some sexy times and making a little noise and the beccas are like what's going on over there so <laughs> oh those beccas now well now i i mean good for you for not telling me what happens to the beccas because now i mean <laughs> what happens <laughs> they're bad <laughs> but we already knew that right <laughs> i mean they're named becca i'm sorry everybody else who's named becca out there jessica's showing admirable restraint (laughs) yes i'm just trying to convince you to read it if you haven't already so (laughs) i did find a passage from the book if you want me to read this passage from delicious which i think sort of captures a bit about what you were talking about. Which is yes, lay it on the, us. The, the sensual part. So he's just tasted some soup. And this is Stuart's take on it. Soup is the sexiest well, of meals, of course. <laughs> <laughs> Somehow in Sherry Thomas's deft hands, it is. <laughs> Slowly, he lifted another spoonful to his mouth. No, the first sip had not been a deviation. The soup was indeed that good. He tried to taste each individual ingredient, cucumbers, onion, a hint of garlic, butter, broth, and cream. Nothing unusual, fancy, or particularly noble, yet it was, it was sublime. This was not just dinner. This was as dangerous and unpredictable as the presence of a scantily clad woman in the cell of a monk who'd taken a vow of chastity. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) That's soup. I want soup. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I want that soup in particular. Yeah, cucumber soup. Woo. I know. I wasn't even paying attention to like what the act, like I heard the ingredients, but I was not at all trying to actually imagine how that would taste. I was just so mesmerized. Neither was I as I was reading it. <laughs> so Mia, what is something other than romance that is bringing you joy during the pandemic? 
I think it's just uh, being with my family. We're all here and we're usually here, (laughs) but we're usually in different rooms. (laughs) And I think we have found this time. It's also my girls are on spring break technically. So we've tried as much as possible to make it seem like a spring break. So we've done, you know, this is spring break in the age of pandemics, but we've done walks and biking. And I live in an area where I have dealt with goats on the loose. And so there really is almost no chance that I will um, see anybody else around. And so we've been outside walking around with my dog and biking and doing all of the things that in the press of sort of just, uh, you know, my girls being in school and, you know, the parents working, we don't do all the time. We only do on the weekends, but we've had like basically like 10 intense days of it. And it is, it's been awesome. Um, I actually haven't been on social media a lot just because I've, I've been like, you know, our original plan was to go away to a cabin about an hour and a half away. We rented a cabin and we were just going to spend time there and put away all the devices. And so we tried to do that at home and it worked out pretty well and I'm like loving everybody right now (laughs) that's a great idea and it's I mean good for you for keeping as much of the original plan you know even in abnormal situations right so that your kids still get that experience yeah we tried before this call (laughs) my husband was like hey we got a delivery of something like it's like these like we're we're gonna play some game and all of a sudden I heard like a bunch of noise and like these are I don't even know what it is that he purchased but in any case it was part of like the we're gonna hang out together and have so much fun and I was like I love it and I love you guys but I'm about to get on this podcast and that needs to turn off yeah (laughs) it worked out well I'm sure they're like when is she gonna get off the call so we can do this (laughs) but yeah it's been a blast you you guys have got time so uh exactly (laughs) you'll wear it in so that's all for night five of the decameron these episodes will release throughout the next few weeks between regularly scheduled full episodes so make sure you're subscribed to shelf love on your favorite podcast app you can check the show notes for links to the romances we mentioned plus where to find my guests Coming up on future Decameron Romance Book Club, we'll cover themes like religion, enemies, and fantasy with even more awesome romance experts. Stay well, take care of yourselves and your community, and keep calm and keep reading romance. Did you know that Shelf Love is part of the Frolic Podcast Network? You can find more outstanding podcasts to subscribe to at frolic.media slash podcasts.